Good morning. Morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. I was told by somebody recently said we don't even know who you are. My name's Joe Barlow. Uh, I was not there going to come up here until the chicken biscuits were out, though. That would have been a foolish thing to come up here and get started without that. All right, I'm looking for something. Excuse me. You need my glasses? No, I got it. I just had to get rid of my coffee rewards program on my phone. <laughs> that was first this morning. So we're continuing in the series based on the book of True Face, the man behind the mask. <clears throat> The other day I was, and I always want to qualify myself as I'm not a Bible scholar by any means. If, if the trivia game broke out, Phil, I would be a loser for sure. I don't want you on my team. You don't? No, I would be the last one you would want to pick, not like Charles Barkley in the commercial. I'll take the two I would girls be the, and you can have Joe. Yes, that's right. That's right. But I happened to cross something and it, and, it, and it sounded familiar to me because I think it's a, a piece out of Deer Camp. And I just wonder how many other men may be like I was for years, hiding behind a mask, thinking that I've got this. If I manage it, if I let the public see what I want them to see, if I can keep my closet door closed, everything will be fine. <clears throat> Psalms 32, and I'm going to start at verse three, and then back up to verse one. Verse three, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it out. I said, I'll come clean about my failures to God. And that psalm starts out in the first verse, count yourself lucky. How happy you must be. You get a fresh start. Your slate's wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you and you're holding nothing back from him. It's pretty much what this series is, isn't it? Amen. So how do you get there? How do you get to that place? Men's Roundtable is unique. Johnny and I were in a Bible study for two or three years, led by a couple of older men that I would say were mentors at church. I'm not going to say bad things about the church, but we were in a Bible study on Friday mornings. And one of the older guys said, <clears throat> I wish we could get a little bit deeper in our conversations. And that was it. I wish we could get a little deeper in our conversations. <clears throat> that older gentleman was in his way trying to reach out to us as younger guys and pull back the veil but it just wasn't really the right environment. We're sitting in church. It's a certain way you're supposed to act there. It's a certain way you're supposed to be. And you sure don't want that stuff to be exposed at church. I won't say what Phil does, 
I hear your story. Mine's worser. I don't know that mine's worser, but I can assure you my shame is as bad as yours is. What I may have done, what you may have done, what's happened to us, it's all part of life. Deer camp. That's where you go. Deer camp. It's a place where a group of guys meet, alumni and new guys. The alumni have been through it. New guys are exposed to it for the first time. And they have an opportunity. That's the key. They have an opportunity to tell their story. You don't have to. You can pass. You can do the Sunday school version of it. Especially if you're one of the early guys. But as it comes around to Sunday, it starts getting real, doesn't it, David? The stories come out and you see the weight lifted. And when Phil comes in and says something cliche of, it was the best deer camp ever. That means new men removed the mask, opened the coat, let their guards down, allowed other men to father them to speak to them, to relate to them, to be honest with them. Me too. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with open hearts, open ears, open our eyes. Father, allow us to hear the message through Phil. Allow men to be moved, knowing that there's something greater, a true relationship with you, a relationship experienced through other men, through community. Mm. God, we thank you for the work you've done in the men in this room, <clears throat> for the men that have been through deer camp, for the lives that have been touched. Junior and I pray. Mm. Amen. Amen. Joe. I'm sorry. There is an important meeting in here at eight o'clock this morning, correct? It's, as soon as as soon as we finish, as soon as Phil finishes, if you would please let's clear out the room. A few of us have got to set the room back up for a ceasefire meeting. We do need to be courteous to them since they host us. <laughs> I'll try to end on time this morning. How about that? <laughs> Good morning, gentlemen. <clears throat> I'm excited um, to offer you a song this morning. God uses uh, music to awaken our hearts, and we continue um, using uh, the song um, Amazing Grace. And uh, I want to offer you a, a version of it um, by a group of ladies singing. I, I normally don't like to do the ladies thing, but I guess I was inspired this past weekend. Um, Carla um, left me at home by myself and uh, I don't like being by myself for very long. I don't, I don't even like going to the bathroom by myself. 
that's probably TMI. I mean, I do it, you know, but, you know, um, she uh, went to um, Birmingham to the Miss Alabama um, pageant. Um, they, they moved it this year. And I mean, who schedules a major event on the 4th of July weekend? A bunch of women <laughs> with hairbrushes. You know, I, I always call the Miss Alabama pageant mamas running around with hairbrushes. You know, make sure that Susie's got her hair just right. And um, I guess maybe I was inspired um, by the Miss Alabama pageant. So I'm, I want to offer you um, uh, the song by John Newton, Amazing Grace, um, sung by the um, Celtic women. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful version of this. I pray you'll hear the voice of God and... Um, the words there, uh, John Newton's lyrics, and we'll just keep using um, the actual lyrics from John Newton, every, even though people have their own version of it. I, I want to read just the, ver the, the first uh, verse to you that you're most familiar with. Um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a broken, broken <coughs> wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see with the eyes of my heart, is, is the way that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, may you see with the eyes of your heart. May God open up our hearts this morning, amazing grace. <clears throat>
was blind, but now I see. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Free to be a man. Take the mask off and ride the open road of grace. Many men try to hide and pretend they are not broken. But this only leads to more hiding, pretending, and despair, and nothing ever changes. We fear that God is almost never pleased. This study will lead us into the light between two different underlying motives, our determination to please God or to trust Him. Guys, that's a critical, critical differentiation in your spiritual journey. Are you trying to please God? That sounds good, right? Yeah, 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 I want to please God. No, that is death. That is a self-imposed hell trying to please God. You wouldn't want your children just around, Daddy, are you pleased with me? Are you, Sweetheart, relax, relax, I love you. It's about trust, not about pleasing. One results in a striving that never feels it has done enough to please him. The other results in a trust that experiences his full pleasure. Our motives as Jesus followers will either keep us enslaved in our hiding or free us into God's adventure for our lives. Let's discover the open road of grace together. Right on. Open road of grace. Today, what we want to look at is the continuation of what we started last week, life behind the mask. What it looks like if we keep living behind the mask. So I want you to look at Galatians 5.1. And Jeff, if you'll throw that up, I'll just read it off the screen. Again, Galatians 5.1, kind of our theme uh, verse. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand, never, never, never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. In other words, don't allow yourself to be on performance. Don't live out of that pleasing God frame, but learn how to trust God, to walk by faith, trusting him all the day long. Um, so before we journal, I want you to, I want you to write this out. It's kind of on your notes, but I want to draw this diagram. And again, it's just a way of listening with your pen. So find you a little, um, uh, open spot there on your notes. And I want you to draw this out. So what we're working with through this whole series is, um, this idea of sin in our lives. Now, I, as I've said to you before, I don't use the word sin a lot because in, in my upbringing, it, it just denotes this kind of rigidity. Uh, I feel like I'm listening to one of those AM pastors down there on the AM dial, you know, at about 5.30 or something like that, and he's yelling at me. And so I have a hard time 
working with the word sin in a healthy way, but I believe in it because I know who I am. I am a sinner. But what I, I truly understand um, as a fruit of sin is the chaos. And so even in my counseling office, I'll, I'll use that word a lot so that I don't sound like to the person like the AM, you know, yelling preacher. You're going to hell because you're a sinner. But when I start talking about chaos and the chaos in my life, the chaos that I've caused, the chaos that I see in the world, everybody relates. And, and, and I am talking about sin. And when we're talking about sin, <clears throat> what happens is every time there's sin, there is an involuntary response. You may feel it in your gut at any point. When I see sin on the evening news, when I look in the mirror and I see sin in my own eyes, the involuntary response uh, that I have is guilt or hurt. Gentlemen, I believe our room this morning is filled with guilt and hurt. I feel guilty for the things that I've done, for the sin that I've committed, for the chaos that I've caused. I feel that guilt. Now, I know in my head on the Bible trivia contest that Jesus has forgiven my guilt, and that's why he died. And, yeah, I can answer that. But I walk around feeling guilty for people that I've hurt, for things that I've done, things that I'm afraid that you might bring up to me um, and cause me to re-experience shame and embarrassment. And then there's a lot of hurt in this room because of how we have been sinned against. That results in hurt. Um, so I'm, I'm a carrier uh, uh, of guilt um, because I hurt others. And when we, when we hurt and that um, involuntary response happens, then there's an involuntary, it just happens, involuntary effect. And the effect will result in five effects. Number one is shame. And gentlemen, in, in my years of working in my counseling office and, and working with men at Ebenezer Place and, and sitting with many of you, um, shame is the emotional cancer of, of our sin. Guilt is what we've done, but shame is what we experience. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, you are wrong. You're just bad. You're just bad. And many, many men suffer from severe shame. The other effect is blame. I either blame myself or others. It's like belly buttons. Some of us are innies and some of us are outies. The innies go inward. I get down on myself. Uh, the outies, it's everybody else's problem. They're never the problem. Ever been around somebody like that? Miserable. 
miserable. <clears throat> and then and then there's fear. Guys, I tell you, I think there's so much chaos in the world today uh, that we are being tsunamied with fear. We're being controlled by fear. We, we become increasingly risk averse in all kinds of different ways. I mean, see that that's the issue. It's not the pandemic. It's not so many other cultural things that I could mention that we watch on the news. It's like the enemy is using fear in our lives. That's the effect, involuntary effect. And then there's denial. Um, living on the river, right? Denial. Living on the river. It's like, is there a problem? I don't see a problem. No. Johnny, have you been in Mama's candy? And Johnny's got candy all over his face. It's like, mm -mm, no. And then his little sister, I've shown you this clip, his little sister sitting on the back step. And, and it's like, you know, if, if a man sins and there's not a woman in the room to tell him that he sinned, then he's cool. But little sister sitting on the back step and she says, Johnny got into Mama's candy. Boom. Busted. Little Johnny's busted. Denial. And then the other effect is anger. And guys, we don't even realize that we're guilty and hurt. But how about let's talk about these things. How do these things dominate your life? Shame. Blame. Fear. Denial. And anger. Those five guys have made a, uh, a very good living for me. You know, that's what I talk about with people all, all the time. And believe me, when you come to my office and, I, and, and you sit down and I ask you, so what would you like for me to help you with? What would you like to see happen by coming in here? You'll start telling me all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, we, I have a communication problem or, you know, my wife won't have sex with me or, you know, whatever. You know what I'm listening for? These five guys to show up because that's what's really going on. At some point, we're going to get into shame and blame and, and um, uh, fear, denial, and anger. But then what happens is there's an involuntary, or I mean, not involuntary, inevitable, inevitable. inevitable effect so sin happens or chaos happens I have a response of guilt and hurt and then the effect or those five things uh, and then the inevitable effect is I move toward judgment this is the way I'm going to cope um, I'm feeling judged, and so I judge. The more that I don't deal with my own sin, the more that I start to have a, a strategy, an unconscious, even a conscious strategy uh, to deal with it. And one strategy is I become judgmental. Or once again, I start blaming myself or others. And if I blame myself, what, what will often happens is I move into depression. Some of you in this room struggle with depression as I did. And then I realized part of my depression 
uh, it was the way of, of not dealing appropriately with my own sin. So I'd just get depressed. I'd get down on myself. Uh, before you criticize me, I'll criticize me. And it was kind of a self-protection. Or I may criticize or blame others. And then, of course, this idea of hiding. I hide. Yeah, I go to church. But I ain't talking about none of my chaos. Are you kidding me? Confession in the sense of telling my story? Uh, uh. Now, I'll confess, you know, it's just me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches an out loud faith. A communal faith. Sharing our sins with one another. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another. Tell your story. And then, this is what we covered last week, of course. And then today, what we want to cover are these last three. Is we're cut off. Cut off from love. I'm not able to love or be loved when I don't deal with my sin. I have a loss of direction. I become aimless and I don't make good decisions. And then finally, the inevitable effect is control. Is control. Now guys, that's what this whole process that we're looking at um, looks at in a, in a diagram. It, it starts with this idea of sin, of chaos. So pick up your pen and let's go to work with that preface. So I've got four um, questions for you that I, that I want you to work with. Number one, I want you to think of a time when you acted in sin or when an act of sin was committed against you. Think of a specific. Be specific. I, I was recently um, accused of something that I didn't feel like was true. I, I, I felt like I was being falsely accused, and I felt judged. And it has been maddening in my heart and in my head. It was so hurtful what was said. Um, and so I have a meeting and I'll be following up. Um, and I've had that meeting in my head for weeks, for weeks. I can't get away from it. I, I, I would like to just, you know, say, well, I'm, I don't want to meet with that guy. After what he said to me, I'm out. But that's that's when I'm the one that's suffering and I'm not about to let that guy or that conversation have control over me as it has. And I can't wait to get the, 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 the meeting, the follow-up meeting is on the calendar. So you can pray for the follow-up meeting and, and pray that I, that I handle it well and not the way I would like to. You know, I'd like to handle it in a godly way, uh, lad, for sure. All right, so, so with your specific in mind, number two, 
describe what the sin was. In my case, I felt like it was judgment. And the initial impact on you, was it guilt or was it hurt? Again, it's an important paradigm to keep working. Am, am I feeling guilty today or am I feeling hurt? And in my case, in that example, what am I feeling, guilt or hurt? Hurt, definitely. Now, this is the part, even in my own situation, that I will own. Even in a bad episode of judgment, there's oftentimes truth. As, I, as you've heard me say before, I believe there's always two shovels in the hole. If you're in a relationship, it's very rare that, you know, you're the good guy and she's the bad guy or vice versa. What my friend said to me that was so hurtful has truth to it. But, I, but what I want to do is just throw him under the bus and everything he said under the bus because the way it was delivered. That makes sense. But there was truth to it. It's like, damn it. I got, I got called out. And there's definitely some things that I can do differently. <laughs> but what would be easy to do is just forget the whole message just because of the way it's being delivered. But rarely is it that clean. There's typically, even in a bad delivered message, a message for you to consider. You with me? That makes sense? Dad it. As, as Bobby Bowden would say, dad gummit. You know? So number three here, if you haven't resolved the guilt or the hurt, describe why. Now, again, I could, I could easily um, not do anything about the situation that I'm describing to you. But why would I do that? Why would I avoid a follow-up conversation? Not, not to tell my friend, and he's a dear friend, not to tell my friend how the cow ate the cabbage. Now, let me tell you. No. The only reason that I would avoid that in my mind is that I really didn't value the relationship to start with. If the relationship's not important, <laughs> then why would, why would I want to meet with him again? But I do value. Uh, and, and that's part of what um, caused the hurt to be so severe to me is because I, I thought he was, I thought he had my back. I, I mean, I thought he would never say what he said to me. And by the way, it wasn't wrong. Okay, just, you know. Just, you know. <laughs> but it's this idea, once again, of dealing with it. And sometimes you do need help. And that's why you sit with a counselor, whether it be me or somebody else, or, or a good friend. Number four. What specific life patterns ensnared you as a result? What, what's been the effect of not dealing with that sin? And guys, I'll tell you, um, when, I, when I had the initial conversation, there was a rock that went in my shoe, an emotional rock that went in my shoe, and it's been painful walking with that thing for, for these several weeks. And I would say that any kind of sin can affect you emotionally. And that's what we've been talking about. Shame, 
blame, denial, anger, fear. It can affect you physically. I mean, it can affect your health. Your health will uh, be severely affected by the uh, lack of attention to your own sin and chaos. And then, of course, your relationship with God. I mean, isn't it amazing in Psalm 51 that David said, it is against you and you alone, God, that I've sinned? And that was after he had an affair, had uh, uh, infidelity with Bathsheba, and he had Nathan, or uh, he had, uh, what was it? Uriah. Yeah. Uriah, I couldn't remember his name. I was going to say Nathan the prophet. No, not Nathan. Uriah, he had him killed. And he says, God, it's against you and you alone that I've sinned. Man, that's amazing to me because he valued his intimacy with God so strongly that it was as if nothing else mattered, really. And then finally, it affects our relationships with other people. And I want to be right. I, I want to walk into a room and I don't have anything against anybody. And that's pretty hard to do because some of you guys are hard to live with. <laughs> you know? But it's like part of the reason that I'm able to do what I do on any level, as any of us, is because I'm free. I'm free to love. I've got, I've got a, a um, when I'm free of sin in my life, I've got this FM frequency that I can hear clearly rather than that AM staticky thing that you're trying to listen to an AM station at um, midnight. Now, I know I use these illustrations. Some of you guys don't even know what AM is anymore. You know, it's like an old illustration. We need to deal with it. So turn over to Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12. Take the mask off and stop hiding Take the mask off. And, and what we mean by taking the mask off is just be able to share the flowers and the weeds in your life. That's, that's what we mean by taking the mask off. You know, hello, my name is Phil and I'm an alcoholic. And what do all the guys at the AA meeting say? Exactly. Glad you're here. That's cool. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is addressing this religious issue of hiding. By this time, the crowd, unweldingly stepping on each other's toes, numbered into the thousands. But Jesus' primary concern was his disciples. He said to them, watch yourselves carefully so you don't get contaminated with Pharisee yeast, Pharisee phoniness. Now listen to this. This is verse 2. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a, rel a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. You'll be found out. You know what God's in the business of doing? jerking off fig leaves. He'll jerk your fig leaves off. He, he will expose you because he loves you. I call it the Nancy Kerrigan thing. You know, he'll, he'll kind of take a lead pipe and hit you over the knees with it. 
You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. You can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The day is coming when those whispers will be repeated all over town. Man, it's so powerful. One guy in private, one guy in public. One guy in private, one guy in public. One guy in private, one guy in public. How miserable. How miserable. Leaving, leading the double life with a mask on. I'm speaking to you as dear friends. Don't be bluffed into silence or insincerity by the threats of religious bullies. True, they can kill you. But then what can they do? There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being, save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body and soul, in his hands. I heard a Navy SEAL just this past week um, interviewed, been through numerous battles, and um, Eric Metaxas was interviewing him, and Eric Metaxas said, you know, how, how do you do all these battles uh, so fearlessly? And he had gone through his resume in terms of, you know, all the things he had done and all that. He said, well, he said, I love the Lord and I'm not afraid to die. Wow. Isn't that the way we're supposed to face every day? I mean, what are you going to do, kill me? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, really? Like you're afraid of being found out? Uh-uh, that's miserable, miserable. Um, I want to read an obituary to you. What would you, what would you like your obituary to read? Uh, Roan sent me this. I got I got to give Roan credit, you know. And of course, God only knows where he got it. Um, but this this was in the uh, Jacksonville uh, paper. This is an actual obituary. Lawrence H. Fowl Sr. was born in Belmont, New York, on April 16, 1941. He passed away on June 27. Uh, 2022, a few days ago, living a long life, much longer than he deserved. He is survived by his three children. No, four. Oops, five children. Well, as of 2022, we believe there is one more than we know about, but there could be more. His love was abundant when it came to himself, but for his children, it was limited. From a young age, he was a ladies' man and an abusive alcoholic, solidifying his commitment to both with the path of destruction he left behind, damaging his adult children and leaving them broken. Ouch! Lawrence Sr.'s hobbies in, in, included abusing his first wife and children. He loved to start projects but never followed through on any of them. He enjoyed the life of a barfly for many years and had a quaint little living space studio above his favorite hole in the wall, the Club Nashville. Lawrence Sr. did spend over 20 years in the NYPD, but even his time in service was negligent uh, uh, at best because of his alcohol addiction. His commanding officer took away his gun and badge, replacing them with a broom until he could get his act together. Lawrence Sr. did claim to be clean and sober for over 30 years, but never worked any of the 12 steps including the eighth and ninth steps with his children, making amends. He possesses no redeeming qualities for his children, including the ones he knew and the ones he knew about. It will be challenging 
to Miss Lawrence Sr. because he was a narcissist. He was incapable of love. Lawrence Sr.'s passing proves that evil does eventually die. And it makes a time of healing, which will allow his children to get the closure they deserve. Lawrence Sr. can be remembered for being a father to many and a dad to none. Wow. Now, gentlemen, there's, there's, there's two things when I read that that I, that, um, that I felt. I felt great sadness um, for the life that Lawrence lived, addicted. I actually felt compassion for Lawrence. It's ironic that my dad's name was Lawrence. So, so I felt compassion for Lawrence. But once again, I felt sadness for the son who wrote this. And you know, and I know, that he's not getting closure in his life because of the death of Lawrence, right? You can see that, right? He's got a lot of work to do. I mean, uh, his son has walked into my office, kind of. You know what I mean? I've met his son many times. And his son has a lot of work to do, and we call the work forgiveness. 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 To get free. I want to show you... Um, a powerful clip out of Amazing Grace, the movie of William Wilberforce. Wilberforce has just been confronted by the sin that he's discovered going on in the slave trade in England. He's done the research. He's taken the time to go down to the dock and uh, walk through the slave uh, boats, seeing uh, all the detail. He's got all this documented information that's been hidden uh, from the general public and he doesn't know what to do because he's he's like he's got this responsibility but he knows that it could bring chaos into the economy destroy the economy i mean all kinds of implications and so he goes to his spiritual mentor john newton who was an ex-slave trader who wrote amazing grace powerful scene as he sits with John Newton, older John Newton, trying to figure out what to do about the chaos. This is my confession. You must use it. Names, ship's records, Ports, people, everything I remember is in here. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. You must publish it. Blow a hole in their boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts, they all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts. 
noises. We were apes. They were humans. Weeping. I couldn't weep till I wrote this. I once was blind, but now I see. Didn't I write that too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. Now go, we'll go. We've lots of work to do, you and I. I'm always amazed at how God leads us in our series. And, you know, I wanted to use the Wilberforce uh, story as kind of our case study. And in parallel with our culture, all that's going on uh, with Roe versus Wade and the abortion issue, I think is so parallel to what went on for uh, many, many years uh, regarding slavery in England and slavery in this country. And I truly believe that part of the reason that abortion um, has reigned for so long and, and, and there's, a, there's a new fight brewing is because just like slavery in Wilberforce, people didn't know what was really going on in the industry of slavery, just like we really don't know what's going on behind the scenes with abortion and what's really happening. Gentlemen, chaos can reign in your life and in my life if we allow it to. It's called sin. There's one answer to sin, and his name is Jesus. And yet even after we receive Jesus um, and we understand what Jesus did for us, we have so much work to do. And God gives us the, the, the privilege of doing that work every day, of speaking hope, and grace um, into the lives of people that we come around. You cannot speak grace and hope and forgiveness into another life if, uh, without having experienced it yourself. What guilt do you need to deal with? What hurt do you need to deal with? Face it. Face it. Face it. For grace, you have been saved. For good works that have been prepared long ago. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for our time this morning. We're grateful that you've given us this place and this space. Help us, Lord. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's clear the room ASAP.